Hello and welcome back to the Ball Report Show. I'm Ryan Sylvia with BallReport.com on the Rivals Network. And coming up this Saturday, we have a top 15 matchup, SEC East implications at play between Tennessee and Missouri. So I'm here with Gerard Hamilton of PowerMizzou.com. Gerard, how are you doing today? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. First thing I wanted to ask you was something that I asked to everyone when they hop on the show. What are the vibes around the team right now, coaching staff, fan base? I'm sure everyone's got to be pretty happy with how the season started. Um, yeah, everybody's definitely ecstatic as far as just being at this point where they're in the college football playoff uh, rankings. Even if they were at 25, people would be excited just because so many people were thinking, uh, you know, seven and five, Eight and four would be a, a pretty good year, um, you know, considering they've been 500 the last three years. If you're like me, I was thinking seven wins was their, you know, was what they were going to do when they already had seven wins. It's a little bit, in a way, kind of on a, not a letdown, but when you go into the Georgia game, seven and one, and you kind of see everything in front of you, and then you don't pull it out. It's kind of like there's there's a little bit of over dramatic, you know, oh, the season's over, but they've got plenty to play for. And I'm talking about more so the fans, the team. They're mm-hmm. it's been good this entire season, win or loss, being like we're on to the next opponent and playing for whatever, you know, that game is. But the fan base is just a little bit down for this week. But they're by the end of the week, they're going to be, you know, getting ready for this game. Last two years when Tennessee's faced off with Missouri, that final score has gotten pretty lopsided. And some people say maybe Heupel has been running up the score in it a little bit. Do you think this one means a little bit more to Missouri, to Drinkwitz, and to this kind of program just because of the way this last two years have gone? Yeah. I mean, anytime a team puts six, put 60 on you and then they do it again, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's something that Drink said on the teleconference today. Like it just the only thing you can really learn from, you know, a prior year or you can take from a prior year is the nasty taste in their mouth. So yeah, you you get outscored 120, what did I think it was 128 to 48 in the last two years. Yeah, you're you're maybe a little bit salty about that. Um it probably has a little bit something to do with it, but also again, like I was saying, both Tennessee and Missouri have so much to play for, you know in the SEC East. So that's a, it's another factor that isn't usually in play for both teams in, in this game. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier going into the year, you maybe thought this was a, a good scenario and they go seven and five, but they're on track to have a much better season than that. I'll admit myself. I did not think Missouri was going to be this good, but I have been proven very wrong. What's different from this year compared to last year? Yeah, it starts with uh, the OC that brought in Kirby Moore from Fresno state. Uh, to coach quarterbacks and, as well as be the offensive coordinator, kind of give drink, you know, he kind of gave that duty to Kirby Moore, um, kind of took a little bit of a load off himself, you know, with that. But just across the board offensively, the players have just gotten better. You would think when they lose an all-SEC receiver and Dominic Lovett, who is now at Georgia, um, they lost a couple other veteran receivers. You would think, like, the receiving group may go down, but it hasn't. Um, I, I've been saying all year, it's kind of the way it was last year. It's like fitting a, it was trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. They just had so many slot guys. They're having players kind of play out of place in a way. And now it feels like they've got, you know, they got a jump ball 
red zone guy. They've got their superstar on Luther Burden who plays well in the slot. They've got other guys who can do other things, which balances them out. Offensive line is much better. Brady Cook, um, obviously he's he's played much better this season. And their running game is, is pretty solid. Cody Schrader was once a walk-on, is leading the SEC in, in rushing. So across the board offensively, they're just doing so many things, you know, much better than last year, and their defense is still pretty good. You touched on that superstar, Luther Burden. Of course, he went out in that Georgia game. So firstly, if he's not able to go because Drinkwitz has listed him as questionable, where does this team turn? Who are going to be those top targets for Brady Cook? And what does that receiving room look like if he's not available? Um, If he's not available, you got Theo Weiss. He's come on really strong as, you know, the number two receiver. He's that red zone uh, jump ball guy I was just speaking of. It's, it's him. They've got Marquise Johnson, who he doesn't play tons of snaps, but he's been very impactful this year. Um, he had like a stretch of like four or five straight games with a with at least one reception that was 40 yards or more. So he's their deep threat. He's the fastest guy on this team. Um, they've got Makai Miller, who's been battling uh, some injuries, but they like him. He's a really good they love him on third downs. That's where they would prefer to go to. They got Mookie Cooper who stepped up. But uh, Burden did come back in the game versus Georgia. Um, he was At practice yesterday, he had both both his ankles taped. Um, he's listed as questionable. I don't think I, – I would be surprised if he wasn't playing, to be honest. Like, yeah, uh, I, I, seen, I, I seen him at practice. He was dancing a little bit. Like, it, it – <laughs> I don't know. He, I feel like at this point in the season, guys may get banged up and stuff like that and may tweak something, but I don't think it's anything serious where you're like, I don't know if he, he plays or not. It, again, that was just yesterday's practice. Stuff can happen. We only get to see a little bit of practice anyway, so anything can happen from now until Saturday, but I'd be surprised. A top 15 matchup, if you're able to get out on that field, it, it's going to be tough to keep him off of it. Maybe if you're playing in FCS team or something, it's worth taking a week <laughs> off. Uh, in, a, in a game like this, uh, for a guy that's almost at 1,000 uh, uh, receiving yards, already surpassed his touchdowns from a year ago, going to be tough to leave him off the field. If he does go, what's the threat that he poises? What is he going to kind of – what problems is he going to present for Tennessee secondary? I mean, he, him, he was one of those guys that I said was out of place last year. He was so good that as a true freshman – you had to put him on the field, and he was, you know, their outside receiver. But now that he's moved into the slot, I mean, he, he can do everything. He makes the catches across the, the middle of the field. And um, I know we say this kind of now, like football isn't as bad as it used to be as far as, you know, hits across the middle. But it took probably – it was the first game where – it was the, yeah, I want to say it was the first game where he got like a helmet and helmet. Next game, he, he takes some – some licks sometimes going across the middle, but he's not afraid to do that. He's shifty out in space, um, which is where he excels at. That's give him the ball in space, and he's hard to tackle. So he can either you know juke juke you out or spin you, or he will you know break through those tackles. He's actually a little bit faster uh, this year than than he was last year. So we've seen him kind of do some deep catch the ball over the top. That's what he did versus Georgia, catch that forty nine or that thirty nine yard touchdown pass. Um, he, he can really do it all. Um, he just – he brings a lot of attention at, at the very least. And in Georgia, they were cool with, after that touchdown, basically shutting him out for the rest of the game with, you know, two receptions for 14 yards, sending double and triple teams his way. I wouldn't be surprised if 
the rest of the way teams start doing more of that, especially if he starts to get hot early. Yeah, Tennessee secondary too. That's without Kamal Haddon now, who was definitely the best cornerback in the room. You could make the argument he was the best member of that entire secondary. He's out, going to be a little bit different for Tennessee, trying to stop him, I expect. Tamara McDonald will probably be the guy on him, so that'll be something to look out for to see how they can try to limit Luther Burden. The man throwing him the ball, though, Brady Cook at quarterback, a guy that's made a big jump from last year to this year. What has his improvement looked like? Was that something that you're expecting this year for him to play at this level, and kind of what's his skill set look like? Yeah, it's it was an odd one, and it. I feel like the season goes by so fast, so he kind of forgets some stuff. But, I mean, to start the year, he was in a quarterback battle. They had brought in Jake Garcia mm-hmm. from Miami to compete with him. They had a four-star uh, redshirt freshman, Sam Horn, throws like 97, 98 miles per hour. You know, when he's playing baseball, they had those guys kind of waiting in the wings, and it didn't, it didn't help Brady that he had to – get surgery on this torn labor moment on his throwing shoulder. So he was already behind the eight ball, didn't play in spring ball. So then you kind of get all the way down to fall camp and he, he wins that out. And the first thing I just noticed is he's just much better with his progressions, his development, as far as like reading the field, uh, not saying it's, it, it's perfect. There's definitely time at times where, you know, he misses, you know, a touchdown or he misses somebody who's open, but not as much really. He's, he's doing better than that. Cause last year just felt like he would, first read and then he's going to run the ball um and that kind of helps with the offensive line being a little bit better but he's just reading the ball he's just a better player more experience kind of helps you get better that's what it what it seems like um he will be more of a he's more of a running threat in this part of the season now he had a hyper extended knee early in the season he wasn't really running that much he's kind of got his legs back under him that's kind of behind him so if he needs to take off, he will. Um, he usually likes to, the, you know, the shorter passes or whatever. But last week versus Georgia, we seen him take a lot of, you know, throw a lot of jump balls, throw the ball down the field. So I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what we're going to get get from him. Uh, but uh, he's, a, he's a good player. He's definitely developed and become a lot better than he was uh, a season ago. You mentioned that the O-line is a little bit better this year. How have they done in protecting him, Tennessee? really likes to get after the quarterback. They send blitzes, and even when they just send their four down linemen, they've done a good job of creating pressure. It's taken a step back in the last couple of weeks, but do you think this O-line is prepared to deal with Tennessee's pass rush? Yeah, that before I got on here, that's actually what I was typing up about both teams and their, and their pressures and, and their pass rush. I know James Pierce is uh, top 15 in the nation in sacks with seven. He's got – almost 40 pressures on the year. So, you know, Tennessee knows how to to get in the backfield. They've been doing, you know, pretty well as far as, you know, his pocket or whatever. He had – he was sacked three times versus Georgia. That doesn't sound great, but it's also Georgia. You could definitely yeah. – it wouldn't be a surprise <laughs> if Georgia had a lot more sacks. And, again, I was talking about how many jump balls and deep that passes he was throwing last, uh, last week. Um, you don't get to do that if your pocket isn't, you know, solid enough, you know, most of the time. So I think they've done well. They know there's work to do. I think their biggest problem is penalties at times are, I mean, that's really one of their biggest things, period. Uh, just false starts, uh, snap infractions, the occasional hold and stuff like that. They've got that problem. But when they're not doing that stuff, they've actually been, you know, pretty well keeping them, keeping them clean. So, um, they're doing that in the run game. 
they're right. Some days it's good. Some days it's bad. Sometimes like Cody Schrader, you see him really toughing out some things, but uh, they've, they've done pretty well in both, you know, especially when you compare it to last year, leaps and bounds. Let's talk about Cody Schrader for a minute. A very interesting story, a walk-on last year from Truman State makes an immediate impact. And this year, you really have the argument he's the best running back in the SEC. Maybe touch a little bit on that story and what the production he's been able to give Mizzou has been. Yeah, so, yeah, like you said, started as a, a walk-on last year. Midway through the season, he got a scholarship. Start this year, he was named a team captain, and now he's leading the SEC in, you know, uh, rushing yards, which is, which is crazy. Like, that's one of those things that, you know, as media or something, when you're covering people, it's just like someone you would like to root for. Like, you just hope they do well just because, like, you know, getting it out the mud type of thing. And so it's cool to see. Um, he's definitely playing well. He's got five games over 100 yards this uh Five games with 100 or more yards uh, this season. He was the first person since Chris Rodriguez at Kentucky in 2020 to rush for 100 yards against Georgia. So think about that. It's been years since yeah. someone could get 100 rushing yards or more versus Georgia. And he kind of helped them stay in the game because it was 24-13 or something like that in the third quarter. And he scores a touchdown to kind of keep them in the game a little bit longer because it was kind of close to going the other way. Um, but he, he's a physical tackle. Uh, I mean, he's a physical guy. He's hard to bring down and tackle. Um, shows great balance. Um, he, he gets in between. You know, he's a north and south guy. So that's what he's best at. Um, there's not going to be too many times where he's getting tackled for loss because he's being an east and west guy. He's always going to fall forward and get some yards. So they they love him at, at Missouri. And he's shown he's got some good hands out the backfield. Uh, similar to the to the running backs Tennessee has, so he can mm -hmm. be that threat, you know, uh, out of the backfield. But he he's just been a, a great story and a great player for them. One of their better players uh, this season. Two of the best backs in the entire country, let alone the SEC, squaring off this Saturday with Jalen Wright on Tennessee side. Tennessee done a really good job at running the ball this year. How's Missouri's defense done at stopping the run? Do you think they're prepared to maybe? limit what Tennessee's able to do because we know Tennessee's going to want to get that run game going. What are your thoughts on that matchup between the defense and then Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson, Jabari Small in that run game? It's going to be, it's uh, drink said it. I forgot when he said it. Maybe it was, you know, Tiger talk or something, but he said something kind of like the defensive tackles are going to be important. Real is George is one of those guys where it's just him and burden listed as questionable. It's going to be the biggest game of the year for the defensive tackles just because of the running backs. And it's kind of, in a way, a 180 from how Tennessee was last year, number one passing offense, and now it's the number three in rushing, and that's what's kind of leading this thing. Um, Missouri's defense, run defense, is pretty good, 24th in the nation. or It's 23rd or 24th. I want to say 24th, but they're good at stopping the run. They held Georgia to 3.9 or 4 yards per carry last week. And if you think about it, if you look back, I think that uh, Georgia had like a, you know, maybe a 20-yard run or two at the end of the game to kind of seal it, kind of boost the numbers up. But they held Georgia down. And it's uh same thing with Ray Davis. Ray Davis kind of ran all over them in the first quarter versus Kentucky, and then it was done after that. So they've been good at kind of locking in. It's going to be a little bit different because of the running backs of Tennessee, knowing how to catch the ball in the backfield. It's like an extended part of the run game when we're talking about throwing into the flats and stuff like that. Um, 
I don't know, it's interesting because when you have three running backs and you can just kind of sub them in easily, you're not it's your heart, it's hard to wear one down, really. They're always fresh there. So um they've shown they can limit some pretty good running backs or or rushing teams, but they haven't faced anything like this. And then you add in Joe Milton, who's got the second most rushing touchdowns on the team. So it's gonna be a tall task. Sixty-six points a year ago in Knoxville. 62 points in Columbia the year before. Overall, looking at the defense, I mean, certainly it won't be another 60-plus point performance from Tennessee's offense, but do you think the defense is going to be able to do enough to keep Mizzou in a really solid position to win? Yeah, if they play anything like they did last week, um, they will. Because the defense played really well last week, but when you have the, the amount of punts and, and you add in a couple fourth quarter turnovers, the defense is on the field all day. No matter what defense it is, they're just going to wear down. They, they're never getting a break. They're never getting a chance to maybe play with their hair on fire as far as like maybe we can afford to take a little bit more risk and be aggressive on defense because we have a lead. Um, it's going to be something to watch for. That first that first quarter, or, I mean, those first couple possessions, They've got to start fast defensively, kind of show like they're, they're here to play. Because, again, if that run game gets going and then you can open up play action for any quarterback, definitely helps. And now you're, you've got two problems. All right, last thing before we get out of here. I want to hear your prediction for the game. You don't have to give me an exact score if you don't want to, but how do you see this one playing out? And ultimately, if you've decided yet, because this one really does feel like one of those coin flip type of games, who do you see winning? It's definitely a pick em to me. Like mm-hmm. I can easily make arguments for for both teams. Um, yeah, it's hard because in one way we, we keep talking about how they 128 points the last two years. It seems like Heupel's office they just they've got drinks number when it comes to that. Um, but again, it's a it's a new year. Different things happen. I'll narrowly give it to Missouri for right now. I, I can't think of a score right now. Still doing a little bit of work to see where I'll get with that, but I'll I'll give Missouri the edge at home. Um, I think this playing their I don't know how many primetime games it feels like they've played, but played a number, they've played some good competition this year. I think that kind of helps. I know Tennessee played Alabama early in the year, um, but I feel like that was it as far as maybe like a primetime game. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. You could argue for the the swamp. You went to Florida, and that was not three thirty. That was a night game, so that's a good atmosphere. But okay, in terms yeah, of yeah, sure. definitely stacks up higher than Lexington. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just think you know playing the LSU, playing you know Kentucky on the road for homecoming and Georgia. I don't know something about that. They this big game feel may be a little bit numb to them. They've kind of got those. I guess tough games out the way. So maybe that app, you know, that works for them. And then it's just being another sellout crowd at, at Foro. So I'm going to just really say the home field advantage uh, kind of gives them the win this time. Um, I do, I do real quick want to ask you a couple questions if I can. Um, we, we talked about the offense and obviously the run game. How is the passing game? It's, it's 58 in the country. So to me, that tells me they can still do some work, but it's not as lethal. Is that, you know, I've heard stuff about that's maybe because of Joe Milton, maybe because of the receivers. You know, what is that? Why is it kind of dropped a little bit? Yeah, I, I would put a decent amount of it on the receiving core. And Heifel's kind of alluded to that in recent weeks, talking about 
not, not necessarily the receiving core playing bad previously, but talking about how well they've played recently kind of gives you a hint into what his thoughts uh, prior in this season were. You had guys like Ramel Keaton who were expected to make a really big jump in this starting role, and they weren't able to necessarily do it. He had some pretty bad drops, but then he, he kind of gets over that in, in recent weeks. You had Brew McCoy go down with an injury, and he was your most consistent receiver, and you were looking for different pieces to come in and replace him, trying out two different veteran freshmen in Caleb Webb and Chaz Nimrod, until ultimately you've, uh, you moved Dante Thornton from where he was primarily playing in the slot to the outside, and that change has seemed to go a long way against Kentucky and UConn. And then Spurl White leading the team in receiving yards right now, he's been really good. But even prior in the season for him, he's had trouble kind of getting past defenses like we saw him do last year as a true freshman. So Joe Milton has had a lot of room for improvement. I'm not going to say he's been perfect in that he was elite now or at the beginning of the season, but I think a a big reason the passing numbers have dropped off is you lose Jalen Hyatt, who is obviously one of, if not the best receiver in college football last year, you lose Cedric Tillman, who was injured for a lot of last year, but was phenomenal in the heartbeat of that receiver room in 2021. And it's taken a little bit to replace that. And I think they're finally starting to click with Joe Milton. And that's why we've seen in recent games, those are receiving yards and, and the passing numbers go up. As far as the red zone, uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at my game notes right now. I see that Tennessee 62nd uh, red zone offense, 55 in red zone defense. Um, Missouri's number one in red zone offense. So just in that, you know, area of the field, I guess how important is that going to be limiting you know, Missouri to field goals. Do you think they're capable of doing that? Um, and then the same thing when Tennessee's on offense, you know, uh, can they can they get the touchdowns instead of the field goals? How do you how confident are you about that? Yeah, I'll start on the offensive side, and you could really make an argument that Tennessee lost its game at Alabama because of red zone inefficiency. They would get down to to deep into Alabama territory, and they just continually had to settle for three. And that halftime score could have looked a lot different in the favor of Tennessee. And it still looked good in the ball's favor, but it could have been that extra step of this game is really over by the time we're at halftime. If Tennessee was able to convert down the field, instead the door was, was cracked open and Alabama came out of the half and, and opened it all the way up and obviously ran away with that game against Kentucky. The next week we saw them play a little bit better in that area of the field on the offensive side, but still had to settle for field goals more often than they would have wanted to. And and then UConn, you can only put so much emphasis on on what they did in that game. So that is a big deal for Tennessee is not only getting into Missouri territory, not only getting into field goal range, but can they convert when they get down there? It's been an issue, and I'll be interested to see if they can improve in that category. On the flip side, the defense really is a a bend-but-don't-break type of mentality a, a lot of the time, more so last year than this year. This year, They've been able to create those three and outs and get off the field quickly, but they're not going to take their foot off the gas in any way. They do a good job substituting to as you were uh, trying to get. I think Tennessee is in a good position defensively to be able to create those stops on defense. And like I said, you can't put too much emphasis on the UConn game, but there was a time where UConn got the ball essentially down to the one yard line and and Tennessee's defense did a a great job of kind of tightening up, packing the line of scrimmage and and creating havoc and and not letting them find the end zone. So 
I have more confidence in Tennessee's defense uh, than their offense when it comes to red zone efficiency. And so, so what's your prediction for the game? Which way you're leaning and why? It really is a pick'em, as you said earlier. I mean, I, I've gone back and forth on this one. Right now, I lean to Tennessee by two to five points, somewhere right around a field goal area. I say that because I think Tennessee's playing a lot better football now than it was previous in the year. Joe Milton seems to be clicking. I talked about that connection with the wide receivers, and, and that feels like it's taking a step in the right direction. And the defense – the last couple of weeks, it hasn't gotten the pressure it's necessarily wanted to, and it hasn't done the best job of getting after the quarterback that we saw against South Carolina and AM. But I think that this is a week that they're going to bounce back a little bit, make Brady Cook make some decisions. And I, I think it could be a type of game and come down to the wire and be a tight finish. But to me, it's like 51% says Tennessee, 49% says Missouri. So, so I'll give the slightest of edges to the balls. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. And I, I could ask you, like, tomorrow, maybe your your answer's different and maybe my exactly. answer's different. So I, I get it both ways. It'll absolutely be a fun one, though. One of the games I, I've been looking forward to since Missouri started the season hot, it, it's been a one that's been on the radar where it's been hard to put a, a, your thumb on maybe either team at times, uh, Missouri just surviving Kansas State. It was like maybe they're not as good as we thought, and then they come back and, and keep winning games, and, and then Tennessee losing to Florida. That was the situation where it was like maybe this isn't the Tennessee team we thought it would be, but they've responded nicely as well. So should be a, a really interesting one, and as I've said, uh, has major SEC East implications. Tennessee needs this win to possibly create a, a win in your in SEC East game against Georgia the next week. So. It, it, it'll be fun. Most important game of both team seasons in, in a lot of ways, though. So definitely. There's a lot on the line. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Before we get out of here, though, Gerard, tell people where to find you on socials. You guys do a great job on PowerMizzou.com, so I really do recommend everyone listening to head over there and get all the information you need. Even if you're a Tennessee fan, I, I really recommend hopping over there and, and getting the inside scoop on Missouri. But where can people find your work? Appreciate you. Um, you guys can follow, follow me on Twitter at Gerard C. Hamilton, J-A-R-O-D-C-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. And, yeah, the work at Power Mizzou got something like every single day, basically, every single day, even though basketball season is, is getting started. So um, where you guys can find me at. Yeah, it's the busiest time of the year, but but it's fun. With, with I mean, we, we got basketball going on here right now. A yeah. practice about to start. So head over to Ball Report as well for football coverage heading into the final stretch of the season. Basketball's heating up, and we even got some baseball stuff as well. Gerard, thank you so much for joining. We will see you in Columbia as we are making about nine-hour trip here from Knoxville over to Missouri. It'll be interesting. Awesome. Make sure you guys head to ballreport.com for all of the content you need heading into the game, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.